electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Moderna begins phase three COVID vaccine trials amid questions about the company's executive stock sales. CEO Stefan Bonsell pushes forward in the race for a vaccine and addresses Wall Street's concerns. If you look at the big picture, I have sold less than 1% of my holdings in the company since the company went public. And while COVID-19 continues to surge across the U.S., communities of color are disproportionately affected in terms of health, education, and finances. The Harlem Children's Zone is scaling its model for relief from New York to six other major cities. We believe we have the answers. So for those that are, that are asking the question, what can we do? Again, there's about targeting neighborhoods with comprehensive services. Those stories, plus a few of Joe's baseball bets from the weekend. It's Monday, July 27, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee again. Great to see you, Melissa. Becky uh, has the day off and I think we're going to see her hopefully later this week. Andrew, are you hungover? And uh, oh, for my tequila. You know what? I actually, you know what? I don't know if we took a vi- We ha- might have a video of it. I don't know if I can get it to everybody. Um, I'm not hungover, I but I, we did... Uh, I did get to enjoy that, that tequila. And apparently it's a famous brand. And now I'm, I, it's escaping it's what the brand is. But there's lots of people who, it's famous who seem and, to. And I actually had a conversation with, with Penelope about it. And, and we both said, there's no way you bought that. Someone sent it to you because it's No, no, re- I, I said really? it, was, it was given as a gift to, it was given as a gift to Pilar. Obviously. It was not, my, it's not mine. I didn't, I didn't even know what it was. And, and you, you can't. Melissa was pretty sad. Uh, not that you're not a big drinker. But he was trying to ring the bell. to ring the bell with yeah, his with, hands, you, and you need to use a ding, like a spoon or a fork or something. I don't know whether you got I this. Have, I know, I know. I'm I know. in a. I don't have a spoon. Did you? It was, throw, a, be, it was a beautiful vessel. <laughs> what about what vessel. about the shot? What about the uh, the shot that you poured, which was probably worth about twenty bucks? Right. Did you? What happened right. with that? I drank it. No, I drank it later. I drank it on Friday Friday night. I drank it. You said, but you I put it back in the bottle from afterwards. the morning drink. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. That is, uh, you missed it, Melissa. You weren't here for, for National Tequila Day. Um, oh, but I saw it. I saw, I saw every second of that. Did you really? It was fun. Uh, it was actually fun and people liked it. Uh, <laughs> and then they were retweeting it and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, some reason, a uh, little bit of reason to celebrate maybe this morning, if you, especially if you're gold. You know, something, do you remember our Jim Grant interview, Andrew, we had Jim Grant on, and I asked him this yep. flowery question about, given the Fed, given this, given that, given all these things happening, uh, you know, and, and sectors and stocks and here and there, and I said, what do you think, you, 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 what should we do? And he said, buy gold and silver. And all I did, because I asked him this big, long question, I barely chuckled because it obviously with with central banks doing what they're doing, that seemed like an obvious answer. People are saying you mocked him. You mocked him. I go, I did not mock him. I love Jim Grant. I agree with everything he says. Uh, Anyway, I I wanted to get on the record of saying that these people 
when they're looking for a target, Melissa, whether it's if you like say anything about Tesla, either long or short, you know, you got either, oh, either side going absolutely nuts on you. And it's like, don't you don't need a target all the time for your stupid trolling Twitter hate speech constantly. They're looking for someone. There are certain assets. Yeah. There are certain assets out there that just evoke that response. Gold. Uh, you know, initially it was Apple way back when. It's Tesla for sure. Gold is definitely what Moderna. We're gonna have Moderna. We're gonna have that Moderna. Moderna. I mean, there's no way I'm battlefield stock. I mean, no way I'm gonna be nice to him and pretend he's he's like a a, a, an honest guy. No way. I'm just gonna nail him today for because people go. I'm kidding. Because people go. He seems very reasonable when he talks. Right. The science of of mRNA makes a lot of sense instead of using an attenuated virus or an adenovirus. If it works, I know they don't have a product yet. I know that they've got those stock, those regular stock sales. I understand all that. But why do the Teslackers hate Moderna? I mean, they're so mad about Tesla at this point that it's gone, you know, they're short at 200. So I don't know if any of them have any money left. But now they're mad at Moderna and they don't want a vaccine. Why do they, I mean, these people are wacky. They're wacky, but they don't get to me at all. I'm not sensitive. Anyway. Um, no. No, not not at all. You know, but no. after not huh? like an orchid. No, no, not 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 no. As coronavirus cases continue to rise in hotspots across the country, Moderna Therapeutics is racing to find a vaccine. And as of this weekend, it has 472 million more dollars in government support. Today marks the launch of Moderna's phase three COVID vaccine study conducted in collaboration with the NIH and the NIAID. Moderna develops drugs based on what's called messenger RNA. These genetic molecules carry instructions from your DNA to other parts of the body to develop certain healthy proteins. The race for a vaccine is moving at an unprecedented pace. There are nearly 200 candidates in development, with 27 being tested in humans. The goal? Getting some kind of FDA nod of approval by early next year. Although the first vaccine likely won't solve all of our coronavirus problems, it's a start. And every time markets catch wind of a vaccine approval on the 2021 horizon, they respond. Which has meant, for some pharma executives, big profits. At Moderna, multiple execs, including the CEO you'll hear from in a moment, changed their stock sale plans this year, yielding hefty payouts after COVID-19 vaccine trials showed positive results. There are no current allegations of insider trading at Moderna, although since news of these stock sales came to light, SEC Chairman Jay Clayton joined our TV broadcast with a suggestion for companies like Moderna. I encourage companies to get out there, disclose where they stand, um, and limit the amount of sense. Now, it's not possible to limit all sensitive information. You've got to be in negotiations. But limit speculation as to where your company stands um, as we move forward. And then with respect to things like financing, um, uh, you know, possible changes in operations, uh, material changes in the way you do your business, uh, practice good corporate hygiene. Announce them as soon as you can, um, and before you're able to announce them, keep that information as tight as possible. The news of Moderna's Phase 3 trial and its fresh infusion of government cash is a good thing for vaccine hopes. Here's CNBC's senior health and science reporter Meg Terrell kicking off the interview with Moderna CEO Stefan Bonsell. You'll hear Joe, Andrew, and Melissa as well. Stefan, it's great to have you. This is a, a big day, the first uh, phase three trial in the United States of a COVID-19 vaccine kicking off. So tell us about the timelines we should expect here. This is a 30,000 participant trial. How quickly do you think you can enroll that many participants and when will we see the data? 
Yes, good morning, Megan. Thank you for having us back. So indeed, it's a, it's a big day. It's a first phase three of a COVID vaccine in the US. It's a first phase three of an mRNA medicine ever. And it's a company's first phase three as well. So a big day uh, came from a lot of work from a, a big team. So what we are uh, planning is to basically recruit uh, as fast as is safely possible. As you know, for vaccines, safety is really important to all of us. But we think we should be able, you know, within four, six, eight weeks to get everybody recruited. Uh, and then it's going to be uh, a question of uh, infection rate. Unfortunately, you know, as Dr. Fauci has said, because of all the infection we are seeing in the U.S., in the South, you know, in the West, uh, this actually should be helping in terms of a vaccine development because it's an event-based phase three. And so we need enough event of infection in the, the placebo arm to be able to determine uh, with good accuracy the, the, the efficacy of the phase three. Right. When are you modeling? You might see those, those enough events to get the data at this point. Correct. We, I mean, we say October, maybe November. You know, it's tough to know right now. We're going to continue to monitor. If you look at the clinicaltrial.gov, you know, the mapping of the sites where we have, you know, almost 100 clinical sites in the U.S. Uh, between PPD sites and uh, NIS sites should allow us to get good coverage. So October is possible. It's a really uh, optimistic scenario. Uh, it could be November. Again, at this stage, it's impossible for us to know precisely. It will just depend on the, uh, the, the event rate, the attack rate of infection. Right. So the goal of this study is prevention of COVID-19 disease. And the FDA has set a threshold of at least a 50% reduction uh, of disease versus placebo. Um, where would you peg your probability of success at hitting that threshold? And do you think it's possible that the uh, vaccine could be more protective than 50%? Yes. So at this stage, it's still, you know, a lot of guessing, you know, looking at the phase one data, which, as you know, showed around uh, a fourfold increase of neutralizing antibody in all the participants. Uh, we are eager to get the elderly data because, as we all know, it's a disease that is, you know, affecting the elderly population more. So that data, you know, should be coming out, I would expect, uh, in the August time frame. Uh, and if you look at the preclinical work, as you know, we have shown in a mice model that was put online in the manuscript, uh, full protection in those animals. So we think there's a high probability, I will put it, you know, at 75 plus, you know, 80%, uh, maybe higher chance to get to the 50% efficacy set by the FDA that is required for approval. Of course, safety is very important and the safety data, I would say, will prevail uh, even before efficacy. Uh, and then uh, could we see a much higher efficacy than that? I think it is possible. I think we'll know more when we get the elderly data, when we get the non-human primate challenge model, because, of course, it's going to be more informative than the mice. And then we get the phase two data. You remember the phase two was fully enrolled. Uh, the safety data of the phase two was critical to gate the phase three start. And we got the green light from the FDA you know, in the last couple of days uh, that we were safe to proceed to a phase three. We estimate that we should get, you know, late August, uh, you know, September of a phase two neutralizing antibody data. And if they are as good as they were in a phase one, uh, then I think it just increases tremendously the probability of a vaccine to get it to the finish line. Stefan, the, we've talked a lot about neutralizing antibodies and, and all the different candidates uh, with, with the vaccines. And the neutralizing antibodies seem to be similar among some of the vaccines that are being tested and, and, and they're good. 
Um, we're also seeing not the B cell response, but the T cell response, which could be even longer lasting and could be important. And I'm just wondering your procedure and Pfizer's procedure with just the messenger RNA, so you have the spike protein. Some of the other candidates, the adenovirus vector itself can, can cause uh, T cells to ramp up production and, and, and fight the adeno. And then there's others that, that add something, an adjuvant or something. Do you, at this point, do you think that just using the mRNA to make the spike protein, is that as effective in generating a T-cell response as some of, of, your com, of the competing vaccines? Can you tell? Sure. So we have some early data, Joe. First, we've shown a very good CD4 response, which, as you know, is a type of T-cell. We showed that in a phase one. But I think more important for us is we have shown in animal model not only for this vaccine, but for others as well, uh, protection. And at the end of the day, what we all care about is those vaccines providing protection. And so we have a good sense that we elicit B cell and T cell. There's been quite some work done, including with the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, uh, in terms of what happens in terms of T cell. We also showed that into our cancer vaccine, if you remember at ASCO uh, a year ago. So uh, we, we think we have both T cell and B cell to provide protection. Two questions for you. Uh, the first really is around the age uh, group. This, the, the upper limit on this age group was 55. Why was that chosen, just so we understand? Because obviously one of the things we're going to need in a vaccine is to be able to protect people at even older ages. Yes, yeah, so actually the phase one was 18 to 55, which is typical for a first phase one in vaccine. You don't want to take any risk for safety for the elderly. But then we enrolled a cohort 55 to 70, and yet another cohort of 70 and above. The phase three, which started this morning, uh, is going to be 18 to uh, no limit of age. And we have a requirement to have at least 25% of people that are 65 and above in a study to make sure we have good safety, but also efficacy data for the elderly. And, and then separately, what I, I did want to mention, because we've been talking about it this morning, and you've probably seen it in the papers, and we've been talking about it for quite some time, uh, stock sales. We had asked Dr. Scott Gottlieb about stock sales among some of the vaccine makers, including uh, your own. And Dr. Gottlieb sits on the board, we should say, of Pfizer and Illumina. And here's what he said about stock sales during the pandemic. I wouldn't be trading in my stock right now in this kind of environment. Um, but, you know, people have the right to do it. And a lot of these are pre-planned sales, as you know. Um, so you can make an argument that withdrawing a pre-planned sale would be as bad as putting one in place. And so if you have this set up, um, a long time ago, you probably might not be appropriate to change it now. So I, I think the, the fairest question to ask is, do you plan to sell any more of your shares at this point? So what we have done is we've set up uh, you know, 10B5 plans uh, a long time ago. If you look at most of the team set up plans when we went public, you might remember, Andrew, this was in December 2018. Obviously, when we set up those plans, none of us had any idea what was going to happen in 2020. Uh, and as Dr. Gottlieb said, you know, there are very clear regulation by the SEC of when you can or cannot change those plans. And as you can imagine, right now we are in a blackout period. We're not allowed to amend or change the plans that would be against the very spirit of those plans. So those plans were set up a long time ago. Uh, and of course, none of us uh, had any idea that the, the stock would be at this level right now. Uh, Stefan, I, I wanted to continue along that line of questioning uh, because it, it appears, at least on the surface, and, and this is a, a, 
a, a big pillar for the bear case on your stock that executives have been aggressively selling $161 million in stock since the beginning of the year. Uh, just in the first two weeks of July, I went through the filings that you had with the SEC. There were five separate filings that sold more than 71,000 shares of Moderna stock. And at the average price, that would be more than $4 million in sales in just the first two weeks of July. Um, you say that this plan was was put in place before, but, but at the same time, you believe that the best is yet to come, I would presume, for your company's stock. Would you consider offsetting those sales with open market purchases then? So uh, thanks for the question. So first, uh, again, this is highly regulated. I could not today place a new plan in, in place because we are in a lockout period. Uh, I cannot stop a plan, start a plan for either selling or buying the stock. I think if you look at the big picture, uh, I have sold less than 1% of my holdings in the company uh, since the company went public. I've been buying stock in every fi financing of a company when it was private, from Series A to Series G. Uh, every round, I'm the only investor in the world who has done so. Uh, I think for any investor who owns Moderna stock, 99% of my wealth is in Moderna stock, and it's going to remain like this. The other piece that people, I think, sometimes don't appreciate, because you have to do a lot of work in the numbers, is that given my uh, stock options that have been awarded by the board over the years, I get new uh, uh, stock vesting every quarter. And so if you do the math overall, my holding of Moderna is not going down. Actually, in the January 1st, to June 30th period for which I have the numbers. It actually went up. I own months, more stock of Moderna on June 30th than I own on January 1st. Just one, one final uh, question related to this, and it might help clarify things. Uh, your founder and, and chairman, who also runs Flagship Ventures, sold $68 million of stock on May 21st on behalf of Flagship Ventures. Uh, obviously, he is a board member uh, of your company. Therefore, he's, he's an insider. There was no scheduled uh, plan in advance for that. Would you ask him not to sell shares going forward? So, again, the decision that flagship has to make, you know, they have their own LPs and they have their own fiduciary responsibility. What I can tell you is that uh, at the date where the stock trade happened, it was an open window. Uh, this was clear by the legal team. And so this was done, you know, according to processes. You know, Flagship has been a long-term investor in the company. They started the company. Uh, they've invested in the company since 2010. This is 10 years ago. As you know, funds have, you know, time frames for which they have to liquidate or distribute the share to their LPs. So I think this is uh, a normal course of business. Uh, if you look at Flagship, they are still the number one shareholder of a company uh, with, I think, close to 20% ownership in the company. So, uh, again, this is not surprising that sometimes they have to distribute or sell stock. It's just common purpose of business. Stefan, it's Meg Terrell again. I, I wanted to ask you about an issue that uh, was sort of plaguing your, your shares last week, which was the patent battle with Arbutus. Uh, so Moderna lost a case over the delivery mechanism for mRNA medicines. And some have speculated that could impede uh, the COVID-19 vaccine's progress uh, toward getting to the market if the holders, Arbutus and another company called Genovant, uh, sue for royalties. Um, do you anticipate any delay here because of this patent battle? So, so first, it is not a patent battle. Uh, we uh, went through a PTA process at the U.S. Patent Office. There is no court involved or anything like that uh, to invalidate a set of patents that we thought were not valid. Some have been invalidated. 
some have not. This is actually regarding very old technology. On Friday, at the end of the day, we issued a statement saying that we are confirming that uh, there is no uh, issue with 1273 and the old Arbutus uh, patent. I remind you that Arbutus had never done any mRNA drug into uh, the medicine. It was an RNAi company. It's, if you look at the patent, uh, you'll see it's a very technical uh, patent, and uh, we do not uh, use this patent in uh, 1273. Okay, and just a last question for you. We haven't asked you about that new award from BARDA, $472 million to support the late-stage development. Can you tell us, you know, what, what that funding is for? And, you know, then also, would there be separate funding uh, to buy doses, as we saw with the Pfizer deal last week? So, thanks, Max. So, indeed, yesterday we announced an extension of a BARDA uh, contract. You remember, we got $483 million award back in April. Uh, but at the time, our assumptions with BARDA was that the, the phase three could be around 10,000 subjects. In the following weeks, through discussions with the FDA and with NIAD, we all agreed that the phase three study of all the sponsors, all the companies, should be more in the 30,000 participant range. So as you can appreciate, uh, it's a much bigger budget. And so we have been discussing with BARDA, and, and yesterday we finalized the contract for an additional $472 million that will fund uh, the phase two and the phase three. So this contract do, does not include purchasing of product. As you can imagine, you know, given our ship with NIH and BARDA and operational wrap speed, we talk to them very regularly, sometimes several times a day. So I cannot comment on things that have not been finalized, uh, but we are highly aware that it is the, the desire of the US government to buy multiple vaccines in case of success, to be ready to uh, inject those vaccines for anybody will be, of course, interested to getting it uh, for free when the vaccine uh, have the phase okay, three Stephane, Stephane just, just clearing up on, on the, the regular stocks, I think. Did you say you are disallowed from canceling that, that plan? Is that you're, you're unable to say, look, I'm not going to do this because of we're going to report results. So you're unable to do that by law? So... Yeah, the, the company policy that has been set up before went public, Joe, is that people cannot start, amend, or stop a 10B5 plan during a lockout policy. window. The and right policy. now, the company policy. It's company policy right now, okay. yes. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right, Stefan, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Next on Squawk Pod, the Harlem Children's Zone and their ongoing relief efforts way beyond education to reach those hardest hit by COVID-19. We believe we have the answer here on the ground in Harlem, and we're seeing that bear fruit um, with our partners across the nation. Uh, while COVID is devastating our communities, it is not without hope. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. The pandemic has stalled economic growth across the country with black communities hit disproportionately hard by the health crisis in the corresponding business shutdown. And then there's the, the, uh, the virus itself, 
of the disproportionate effects of the virus. The Harlem uh, Children's Zone, meanwhile, aims to raise $50 million for COVID relief in these communities across the U.S. And the Audacious Project has committed $26 million to help them reach that goal. Joining us now uh, with more on how they're supporting communities hit hardest by the pandemic, Jeffrey Canada, president of the Harlem Children's Zone, and Kwame Awusu-Kesi, he is CEO of the Har- uh, Harlem's Children's Zone. Um, good to see you gentlemen again. Uh, to, to update us. Um, Kwame, I've watched the, the, the TED speech and it was easy for me to find. I just searched Kwame and TED and, and it comes up, <laughs> comes up immediately. I've watched it a couple of times and, and it, it's very compelling because it, it, it encapsulates exactly what we're talking about. And that is uh, the, the answer that HCZ figured out was cradle to career comprehensive action and this, this pandemic has thrown a, a serious obstacle into doing that, but the answer and the solution is the same thing, and that is a, compre- a comprehensive response to it. Can you just go, I, I urge people to watch the TED speech, but explain what you're talking about there, uh, Kwame. Absolutely. Um, so good morning. Uh, COVID-19 is a multidimensional threat, and, and because it is multidimensional, it requires a comprehensive response, which is germane to who we are at the Harlem Children's Zone. And and by comprehensive in the context of COVID, uh, we mean we need to have strategies and approaches to address the need for emergency relief funds, uh, bridging the digital divide, the mental health um, impacts that's having given the toxic stress, uh, the physical health needs, ensuring that folks have masks and public health campaigns, reminding folks the importance uh, to stay covered for each other. Uh, So the audacious opportunity was uh, a fantastic opportunity. As you had mentioned, uh, we were able to raise uh, $26 million. And a little bit about the audacious platform. It is a a collaborative funding initiative that catalyzes capital and places big bets on social impact initiatives. And when we first started this work on the ground in March, when COVID happened, we understood this would devastate black communities all across America. So now to be able to have a national response um, all the way from Atlanta to Minneapolis to Oakland um, is really critical that we marshal these resources for our communities. Jeff, it's it just we need to scale it and we need money to scale it. And, and that's the thing you've proven oh, with, with your tenure. And I think that's why you're ready to, to pass the reins to Kwame. We know exactly how to do this. Now there's six different uh, places. There's Oakland. There's um, I think Detroit. There's uh, there's Newark. You take the money and the comprehensive uh, strategy, and I mean, COVID notwithstanding, th- there are no silver bullets to what we're trying to do, Jeff, but we know how to do it now, don't we? We do know how to do it, and, and I'm just so proud of Kwame uh, and what he has done as a national leader, uh, but you're exactly right. This is about bending the curve. You know, people talk about the projections of how many folks are going to get sick and how many folks are going to die, and Kwame and I are thinking, those are our neighbors, are those are our family members, those are folks in the Black and Latinx community who are the most vulnerable, and we have to do everything humanly possible to stop that from happening. So this is a call to the nation. Uh, we know there's a problem. Let's act. We have a plan. We plan to implement it. We plan to save lives. Yeah, it, the, the pandemic just exacerbated the, the inequality. And, and Kwame, you talk about, uh, I thought it was really a compelling example that it was repeated over and over again with that, that young man, Sean, one of your scholars. And 
You know, his mother got it, so he's living with his grandmother, and then, you know, he doesn't have, doesn't have the computers to be learning at home, so he's going to miss learning. His mother gets out, but, but has to quarantine, so they had to move to a shelter. They couldn't stay with their, the vulnerable, and that's repeated again and again and again. So the same effects of inequality that we see there are just exacerbated by this. But there's an answer to it, and I think the six-pronged approach, that you, or five or six that you talk about, is, is the way we need to do it. But once again... Got to scale it up across the country, and, and it takes money. So I don't know, you know, how do we do that? Well, absolutely. I think you, you hit it on the head. Like, we believe we have the answer here on the ground in Harlem, and we're seeing that bear fruit um, with our partners across the nation. Uh, while COVID is devastating our communities, it is not without hope. And, and again, we have to target this um, with everything that we have, marshal the resources necessary in order to be able to attack this. Um, we are creating a community of practice. Um, so not only are we sharing resources, we're sharing information, we're sharing best practices of how to do this work. While there is an emphasis of the impact of, that COVID is having as it relates to deaths, uh, there is significant impact on so many different levels, particularly the impact of mental health um, with the large uncertainty about will I be able to provide for myself? Will I be able to provide for my family? Um, so again, we believe we have the answers. So for those that are, that are asking the question, what can we do? Again, it is about targeting neighborhoods with comprehensive services. He, uh, Jeffrey, you know, following the George Floyd, um, you know, the tragedy, the, the, the horrific events uh, that, that transpired, a lot of uh, people that come on CMEC have committed a lot of money at, to, to trying to solve this. We've actually had people come in and say, you know what, it's great to commit money, but I don't know if they know how to spend it or where to spend it. Why? How, how do you get the word out that, that the answer kind of is here? with HCZ, and, and if you're looking, I don't know, I just think a lot of that money that's been raised, you could certainly put it to good use if, if they could figure that out. I mean, if, if folks understood that we have these national partners, right, they're really sort of the top performers. Uh, we found folks uh, in Detroit, in Oakland, in Minneapolis, in Newark, in Chicago, who are actually doing the work on the ground, uh, trying to save lives. Uh, and we need help and support. And if folks want to figure out uh, how to support uh, communities of color during this dire time, uh, they can simply help support this national effort uh, to save lives. Uh, and we stand on our data and our results. We're clear. We're about the numbers. We're about making sure that we reach the outcomes that we have listed. And I think folks can have confidence that our partners will do the same thing across the country. Kwame, how many scholars you got in college now? I mean, the, the entire gap between white and, and black students is, is you've actually gotten it to, to zero in, at Harlem Children's Zone. And you got, what, 2,000 kids in college or something at this point? So right now we have 1,000 a, a students enrolled in, in college. But over the last 10 years, um, it's close to, uh, I believe, 7,000 um, um, students that uh, we have been able to serve on, on multiple levels. And, and again, at the Harlem Children's Zone, we serve 14,000 students all throughout uh, the, the pipeline from birth all the way through college um, to ensure that they can receive their, uh, and achieve right. their full potential. And hopefully nobody falls through the cracks, but it, you know, it's a lot of work and it's not easy. And there's no, you know, you can't just uh, flip a switch, but uh, it, I mean, this is, this is a way to do it, I think. Um, anyway, I'm a believer. Uh, Kwame, good luck. We'll, we'll see you Thank again, you. keep us updated. Uh, and, and Jeffrey, it's great to have you. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. you on and, and thanks for everything we, we appreciate it. we'll see thanks. you soon all right Pleasure. thank you so much see you guys we'll be right back you know i did very well with uh with betting on baseball sorkin so i'm not unhappy about I, that I, I did very and i loved it i love watching all the games loved it sports is back the little you know i want to send in okay. we're going to send we'll in our, our pictures our cardboard cutouts to be in the in the uh, behind home plate in the background. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern, and to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.